I'm Shannon Green, and you're listening to On Extremism, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the causes, manifestations, and responses to one of the most important issues of our time. In this series, we'll talk to top experts, policymakers, and practitioners to understand how we can better counter violent extremism around the world. Our podcast is made possible by the CSIS Commission on Countering Violent Extremism, chaired by former British Prime Minister Tony Blair and former U.S. Secretary of Defense Leon Panetta. For more information on the commission, please visit www.csis.org. Today we'll be recording three podcasts in a series featuring recipients of the Emerging Young Leaders Award, supported by the U.S. Department of State. This award recognizes youth around the world for their efforts to create positive social change in challenging environments. The 10 recipients of the inaugural Emerging Young Leaders Award represent the power of young people to launch grassroots initiatives to improve their communities. With me now is Hilary Briffa from Malta. Hillary has played a pivotal role in raising the profile of young people in international affairs as Malta's youth ambassador to the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, the OSCE. Her work has focused on youth issues ranging from access to healthcare and education to combating discrimination, facilitating employment and entrepreneurship, and countering online hate speech. She helps lead a campaign against violent extremism at the OSCE's largest human rights conference in Europe last year. Hillary developed and received a grant for summer school on peace building in Eastern Europe. She has designed and implemented grassroots educational projects and led after-school courses on conflict resolution and debate in London, where she is currently pursuing a PhD. Congratulations on winning the State Department's Emerging Young Leaders Award. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure being in the U.S. and experiencing all of this. Thank you. Great. Well, maybe we can start out by just telling us a bit about yourself and the work that you're doing that led to receiving this high honor. Absolutely. So my work has largely been on two levels. Uh, On the one hand, I've engaged on a policy level. Uh, I've spent over two years working as a in a capacity as a youth ambassador to the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, known as the OSCE. Um, And in this regard, we've been lobbying to put youth issues on the international security agenda. So to really show that things like youth unemployment is not just an economic issue, it's a security issue. Uh, Working on campaigns to counter violent extremism, which I know we'll be talking a bit more about later on. Uh, So really trying to encourage policymakers to not just uh, talk about youth issues, but actually engage with youth actors in this regard. We say, stop talking about us without us, literally. Uh, So that's kind of been my work on the policy level. And then locally, uh, I've been working with civil society. So in Malta, I co-founded an NGO which works with young people to train them in debate and public speaking. Uh, And then more regionally, uh, myself and a group of other international young people like myself uh, work on peace building projects in Eastern Europe. So for instance, we're in Nagorno-Karabakh in the contested area between Armenia and Azerbaijan in 2011 and the subsequent years in Moldova, in Transnistria and Gagauzia. 
and Ukraine uh, working on peace building projects there. So we bring together young people from these countries, but also other European youths to learn about uh, the protracted conflicts and why uh, these issues aren't being solved and sort of what the reconciliation processes are and how we young people might approach it differently and make our own recommendations. So it's been really policy level work uh, on youth issues and then locally uh, education and peace building projects. Well, given all of the engagement that you've had with young people throughout Europe, what do they tell you in terms of the biggest challenges that they face in their daily lives or what are the limitations that they face in getting engaged in those kinds of peace building processes? There is a definitely uh, a sentiment that young people aren't listened to, aren't included in these kind of processes. Uh, I did mention this idea of talking about us without us. So there is either the idea that young people are only uh, victims in these situations or that they're actively problematic, that young people are just there to kind of uh, complain about things and kick off revolutions and revolts and uh, not really engage in a proactive manner when really young people have the energy, the ambitions and uh, the enthusiasm to bring about the changes that they want to see in society. And in fact, one of the things that I personally find really problematic is uh, when, for instance, there is a run up to elections. This is on my mind because obviously we're in the US at the moment. There's election fever in Europe as well. There's obviously uh, I'm currently living in London where there's the mayor elections. So there's a lot of these kind of election fever going on. And there's really often the sentiment by young people that uh, politicians kind of pander to people's needs in the run up to elections and then don't follow through afterwards. So you get these organized, uh, socially conscious young people who have so much hope and then at times tend to be frustrated when this isn't seen adhered to. And so uh, I think it's really important for policymakers and to uh, really follow through on what they promise and to really engage with young people because we do have the enthusiasm and the ideas that, you know, should be taken into account. And do you think that that lack of, you know, sustained engagement and meaningful engagement with young people makes them vulnerable to attempts by extremist recruiters, for example, you know, to draw them into violent extremist organizations? Absolutely. I believe personally that the concept of radicalization in itself is not inherently a bad thing. It's what led to things like uh, the abolition of slavery or universal suffrage, Uh, which at the time were very radical ideas. But what's problematic is when uh, the channels and avenues for people to express these ideas and their beliefs and hopes are not open, when there isn't this this voice and policy level awareness that we can we can engage with these ideas so people young people or people in general might feel like they need to go through alternate channels to get their point across and at times violence might be one of these methods and not just violence but also uh, in the understanding of the international human rights law kind of inciting people to hatred is also included in this so these kind of uh, roundabout ways of trying to get your point across when channels are not open to them. Well, so let me ask you on that point, what do you think that multilateral institutions or organizations like the OSCE can do about that to open up those peaceful channels for engagement and for dialogue? 
There are a couple of ways that I think international institutions themselves can be particularly helpful. First of all, they bring together different countries, different nations, so there can be the sharing of best practices. There are countries where they are engaging with young people. Uh, for instance, where countries where you have a ministry of youth or where you have uh, youth councils or youth parliaments where the policy recommendations actually go to the decision makers. For instance, in Malta, where I come from, I was party leader of national youth parliament for two years in a row and the topics that we debated in uh, between us as young people would then be recommendations to the government thereafter and some of the things that we propose we could see reflected in legislation in the following years so I think that uh, international institutions bringing together countries to share best practices is one start um, also the fact that international institutions can actually set a, kind of set a precedent and give an example to the inclusion of young people uh, I definitely think the OSC is to the fore in this regard, in part because obviously I've been involved there, so I've seen it firsthand, but um, especially in, in re with regard to uh, counter-radicalization, we've done a lot of work together, which uh, I'll bring up shortly, but they've actually nominated three special representatives on youth uh, who they work with in all areas, because it's not just looking at youth as specifically youth issues, but gaining an understanding that every policy area needs to have a youth dimension to it. So if we're talking about economic issues, we need to look at also the youth dimension to that. If we're talking about gender, same thing, human rights, media. I could go on, obviously, because it's so all-encompassing. With the OSCE, we actually, as youth ambassadors, came up with uh, a youth action plan where we just gave recommendations. And we had over 150 clauses ranging from healthcare to education because it's such an all-encompassing uh, area that needs to be looked at. Youth comes into everything. Hmm. Well, you are obviously a great example of a young person who has been very engaged both on policy but also at the grassroots level. Why do you think it is that so many young people um, are apathetic about policy? Um, and when it comes to countering violent extremism, you know, it's often thought that the solutions are really going to be led by the grassroots level and led by civil society. So I guess the question is really, how do we get more young people engaged in that, you know, in that struggle, if you will, against violent extremism? Um, so as I mentioned, I don't, I think that we need to look at, so I do a lot of work on both the policy level and the civil society level. And I think that we need to, we need to look at both uh, when approaching this subject, uh, in part because if you don't engage in politics, you you become part of the problem and not just a solution you're striving for. Uh, so I think this, these problems that I mentioned before of politicians not fulfilling the expectations of young people or young people who feel like uh, politics is something that doesn't concern them, something they can't relate to, is part of the problem and not just needing to engage with civil society. I met a political strategist during my time on this program here in the US when I visited Chicago, um, who was telling me that when we work with politics and we work with civil society, these don't need to be mutually exclusive. And it really gave me this understanding that kind of you don't always need to break the windows from the outside. Sometimes you can go into the house and actually move the walls themselves. Um, so that's the first point that I want to make that I think I don't think we need to just look at civil society or politics. I think it needs to be kind of both working together and us supporting and working with politicians that we do 
respect, but who also need to respect us in return. And on in terms of civil society level, um, I do think it's important to to show young people that any area they're passionate about uh, does affect the wider uh, remit of policy. So I was just mentioning how everything is interlinked. And as a young person, you might not care about what you think politics is in your understanding, but surely you care about education if you're a young person in school or about healthcare because everybody gets sick. And it's it's these kind of other areas when you feel like you're frustrated, like you're not, your needs aren't being met in civil society that often lead people to, to be frustrated and try uh, and become more vulnerable to extremist narratives, especially when the other side is very good at manipulating the grievances you hold. So we talk about the fact that when it comes to violent extremism, it's not just, there isn't just one thing that causes it, but it's a kind of a combination of your environment and your own social and political, psychological uh, makeup that really affected. It's not just one thing, which is why we need such a holistic approach. Uh, approach the things. Um, when it comes to my work on countering violent extremism with the OSCE, we actually approach it in three different dimensions, which reflect the dimensions of the OSCE. So I've worked particularly on the political and military dimension because my background is more closely aligned to that. I'm currently doing my doctorate in war studies at King's College London. Uh, but we also approach it through uh, the economic dimension. And the third dimension is the environmental dimension. So we really try and look at it from very different angles. And with the OSC itself last year in under the Serbian chairmanship, we, we conducted a conference in Belgrade called Working with Youth for Youth, Protecting Against Radicalization. And we brought together uh, people who were ambassadors, leaders of NGOs, but also the youth ambassadors ourselves to kind of give the youth perspective and our own opinions on uh, why we feel young people are not engaged or more vulnerable to these narratives. So uh, this work was what eventually led at the ministerial summit to the passing on both a OSC declaration on youth and security and an OSC declaration on preventing radicalization, which had a specific clause mentioning youth. Uh, because that's what we're striving for, you know, to show that young people need to be given particular attention to this. So you mentioned um, in your answer about the narratives that extremist organizations try to promote. Can you tell me a little bit about the work that you've done countering um, hate speech and recruitment and narratives online and with social media? Absolutely. So as young people, we're all uh, increasingly connected. We're always on our phones, on our social media accounts, on the internet. And this has become an avenue for recruitment for uh, extremists, but also an area in which we definitely need to try and counter this. Uh, so we've worked on campaigns to kind of uh, prevent online hate speech, uh, which is partly uh, an avenue where young people feel like they're being targeted by one another and where we need to promote social inclusiveness online and also to uh, to try and use the internet and the computer in a way that will demystify uh, religions, for example. There are a lot of misconceptions about, let's say, Islam uh, is at the forefront. And there are websites where people kind of uh, create these sites specifically to, to demystify many of the myths surrounding the religion, what it's actually about, what it's, uh, what we can learn from it to, to really 
change the stereotypes that we have that are often propagated by the media. Uh, we've also run a campaign with the OSCE called uh, hashtag UnitedCVE, which is United Encountering Violent Extremism, uh, where uh, anybody who posts with this hashtag can share the work they're doing to counter this. We can uh, tag in our politicians to kind of get them to realize this is an issue they need to care about and start talking about. Uh, we did a lot of work with this campaign at the Human Dimension Implementation Meeting of the OSCE, which is the largest human rights conference in Europe, and as well at the Ministerial Summit, where we had all the foreign ministers from the 57 member states attending so that we could really uh, put this on their radar that this is an issue we need to care about, but get it out to a wider audience through the use of the internet. And what do you say to people that, you know, talk a lot about taking down some of the content online versus trying to promote sort of positive alternative narratives? Uh, I definitely think we need to we need to be careful to protect freedom of speech, freedom of the media. That's why in this work that we do, we also had, for instance, at this uh, Protection Against Radicalization conference, we also had the OSC representative on freedom of the media uh, included in the discussions because these are kind of the founding values that we really believe in. Uh, the ability for everybody to express their opinions. And like I mentioned before, uh, having radical opinions in themselves can often lead to constructive and productive change. But I did also mention the problems with inciting people to hatred, and that's quite a fine line that we need to tread. And I think it's important for people uh, to rather uh, be conscious when they're posting, when they're engaging in conversations, uh, that they do it in a respectful way, in a way that gets their point across and is not intended just to be malicious, just to hurt other people. And as young people, Sometimes that's the problem with online hate speech, for instance, that we don't always think because we can be very passionate and we can be uh, very in the heat of the moment. And it's important for us to just uh, be careful while we're engaging to, to do it in a constructive manner rather than having other people have to come in and police and censor, which only adds to frustration and adds to the problems, I believe. So, Hillary, what comes next for you after you go back home after this program? Well, I'm returning to London where I'm pursuing my doctorate at the moment. So I need to actually continue the work on that because all these other peace building projects and so on are in my extracurricular time. And thankfully, my supervisor is being very patient with me about it. But uh, I'm also very keen now that I've been here and met with the other extremely inspiring emerging young leaders to find means where we can collaborate. Uh, for instance, one of the participants from Gaza uh, has founded a debate club there, which is quite similar to what I do in Malta. So we're going to try and see if we can do a Skype debate between his young people and my uh, students so that we can uh, really create these barriers, uh, knock down these barriers and create these connections between us across the continent. So I'm looking forward to these kind of collaborations uh, to continue, obviously, the work I'm doing with my NGO and the peace building projects. And obviously, now that we've actually got the 57 members of the OSCE to pass a resolution on youth and security, our work starts all over again by making sure they actually implement it. So uh, I'm looking forward uh, and a little bit apprehensive about restarting that whole project, but I'm very excited. We've seen some success with the things we've recommended 
already being implemented. I was in Kyrgyzstan with the OSCE last year, uh, running some workshops on youth in conflict, for example, and we uh, we learned a lot about how there's problems between young people and trusting the police force there, not having these people that in their civil society that they can really go to and connect with. And we made some recommendations there about how they can do things like just a simple movie night, maybe bringing them together or just... Uh, any initiatives where they can talk between the young people and these uh, these police or civil society people to kind of increase uh, increase understanding and foster respect. And also we suggested the recruitment of more ethnic minorities, which we're seeing increasingly being done. Uh, so these kind of things do give me hope that the things we've suggested will come into force. But as youth advocates and youth lobbyists, obviously the work is never over. So uh, I'm here having a wonderful time, but I know that it's only the beginning for when I get back. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Hillary, and congratulations on your extremely impressive work. Thank you.